Would you turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew and the chapter 18, and we will come there shortly to read and from that passage, bring the Word of God, the message of God for today. I also welcome you. It's good to see all who have gathered, and we trust the Lord will bless all of our hearts and meet with us as we assemble before the Lord. We had a very good week of prayer among ministers from Monday through to Friday, and the sessions were blessed of the Lord, very good spirit of prayer and good attendance, and we thank the Lord for all that and for His hand upon those meetings. And so we're going to just have a word of prayer now before I read, and then we will come to some verses. Let's just bow in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we come to Thee and we wait in Thy courts. We feel our need of Thee, our own emptiness and bankruptcy. We come praying for the help of God, for the settling of our minds, for the removal of every hindrance and every distraction from our thought processes. O Lord, we pray for minds that are cleared of all the clutter of the week gone by or the week ahead, all those things that, even though they may be legitimate, would hinder our focus on Thee. Come and shut us in with God. Bring Thy Word with power. May the Holy Spirit be upon the people and upon the preacher. Lord, cleanse my heart in the blood of the Lamb. Breathe on me from heaven. Grant me that anointing to bring the message that Thou hast given even for this time. And so, Lord, bless us now, we pray. We ask all of this for Christ's sake, for God's glory, and for the extension of our Savior's kingdom, in whose name we pray, amen and amen. Matthew chapter 18, reading from verse 15 down to verse 20, verses that are familiar, but verses that we want to think about today, especially toward the end of the reading. So, Matthew 18, verse number 15, let us hear God's word. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them." You'll notice in verse 19 that the Lord speaks of asking, and is asking in prayer, and in verse 20 He then focuses our minds upon what really is, essentially is, a reference to the church prayer meeting. Now, one of the hallmarks of the New Testament church was its emphasis on prayer and prayer meetings. For example, the book of Acts holds many references to believers assembling to pray. Similar evidence of believers coming together for prayer stands out 
in the epistles, and especially in the letters of Paul to the various congregations of the early church. Therefore, church meetings to pray was an established feature of the life and the witness of the early church. These references to prayer, prayer meetings, especially reveal a lot. We are shown in the Word of God clearly that New Testament prayer meetings were a carryover from the Old Testament church. Now, there are many verses that prove this, and I don't want to take time to go into proof texts when it's not necessary to do so. It's clear to our minds when we look at the Word of God that what we have in the New Testament is a follow-on from what we have in the Old Testament. For example, just one example, Acts 3 verse 1 says, Peter and John went up together unto the temple at the hour of prayer, then it says, being the ninth hour. And that was an hour that was established by the Jewish church, during which people went up to the temple and they sought God, they prayed, they waited upon the Lord. And you'll find that the Jews had different hours during the day that were set aside for prayer. So this was the established practice in the Old Testament, and it carried on over into the New Testament. Another thing is that the New Testament church prayer meeting was distinct from other church meetings. In New Testament times, there were other church worship services. There were the Lord's Day meetings, 1 Corinthians 16 verse 1 refers to gathering, coming together on the Lord's Day. And it also mentions there, of course, the collection that's to be taken up from the saints. It says, upon the first day of the week, that every one of you lay by him uh, in store as God hath prospered him. Then there were meetings for the Lord's Supper. First uh, Corinthians 11 verse 20 refers to this and says, When ye come together, and the whole passage has to do then with the Lord's Supper. And prayer meetings were also held on Lord's days, but also other days of the week. An outstanding example of this is when you start to read from Acts 1.14 and right on through the rest of that chapter. Because there you find that there were ten days of prayer set aside by the early church, and at least, well, probably two of those days were Lord's days. Because the last one, the tenth day, was the day of Pentecost. And when you work it all out, that was actually a Lord's day. And that means that that was a Lord's day, and then a week before there was another Lord's day, within the ten days that they spent in prayer. So meetings for prayer were also held on Lord's days, but also on other days, just taking those ten days. And so we have all these different references, therefore, and proofs that there was what is called the prayer meeting, distinct from other church meetings. And we should note that. These details imply that the church prayer meeting is equally important with the other stated services for public worship, whether on the Lord's Day in regular preaching meetings like this or meeting around the Lord's table whenever that happens. Prayer meetings were firmly and distinctly established in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament church. And so that means that in the New Testament church, the prayer meeting held a place of its own 
in the spiritual life of the church. It was not relegated to some second-rate place. It was vitally important. It was emphasized over and over again in references like those that I've mentioned. The New Testament church prayer meeting was therefore instrumental in securing the blessing of God. Here is one of the fundamental principles of the New Testament regarding the spiritual life of the church. God has ordained that through the ministry of prayer, His sovereign will shall be fulfilled. See, God has ordained or decreed, promised certain blessings for His church. And yet He also shows, running alongside the reference to the decreeing of those blessings for the church, you find that he says, I will be inquired of to do it for them. And I refer there to Ezekiel 36, 37, where the Lord actually says that. And the verse is this, Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel. That means prayed to, to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock. It's a prayer meeting that's mentioned there. And maybe many of them, And the outcome is that the Lord increases His church and gives multiple conversions. He increases the church with men like a flock in answer to prayer. Actually, in that verse, the word inquired, where the Lord says, I will be inquired of. That word inquired, it means something very, very powerful. It means to track or to pursue or to seek after. And that means that God wants us The Lord expects us, the Lord calls upon us to pursue after Him, to inquire after Him as it is here, to seek after Him earnestly for the very things that He has promised to give unto His people. He says, I will be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. And that means, therefore, that the New Testament church prayer meeting is instrumental in securing the blessing of God And that's how important the prayer meeting actually is. It's striking that the first reference to the prayer meeting in the New Testament is in Matthew 18. And furthermore, it's the Lord Himself who speaks here. In what He says, there's a lot of instruction given to us on this matter of the church prayer meeting, gathering to to lay hold on the Lord. It's instruction of the most relevant kind for us as a congregation as we endeavor to engage in extra seasons of prayer today and over the next few evenings. And so I want to consider with you several points of instruction that the Lord's words here set before us about the church prayer meeting. And I trust that God will bless all of this to your hearts and use His Word today to stir up our souls and to have us come before the Lord and covenant today. Yes, Lord, just not this week, but every week and every time the church is open for prayer, by Your grace I will be there. That's the kind of attitude that is needed in the church of God in these days. I trust that will come out more and more as we make our way through these points. The first thing is this. I want us to look at Christ's assurance regarding the prayer meeting. Christ's assurance regarding the prayer meeting. To those who gather with a true focus on Jesus Christ, 
the assurance is given to them by the Savior that He will be present. Now, here is a verse, verse number 20, that you have heard and I have heard, and that's great. Being prayed over in church prayer meetings, as well as for other worship service, but it's specifically the prayer meeting that's in view here. What does verse 20 say? For where two or three are gathered together in my name, the Lord says, there am I in the midst of them. I will comment on this a little later, but just let me say at this point that the Lord here uses the lowest number required to constitute a church prayer meeting. Two believers, and then, of course, going on to three. But what he's saying is that where at least two of the Lord's children assemble in His name for prayer, He gives the assurance that He is there. Now, that assurance has different features to it. Think about it carefully. It's an assurance of the Lord's spiritual presence. The Lord promises to be amid those who gather in His name to pray. This is a reference to His spiritual presence uh, verified by His own words. He says, where two or three are gathered. The word where refers to or signifies a place, doesn't it? A place of gathering to pray, whatever it might be. And whenever it might be, that's what he's referring to by using the word where. But you see, there must be and there is a multiplicity of such assemblies. And that's something to take on board at this stage. As I talk about the Lord's assurance of a spiritual presence actually being in the church prayer meeting, he's referring here essentially to a multiplicity of such gatherings. And that does happen. What I mean is, as we meet to pray here today, as we did this morning, or we will do this afternoon, as we will do Monday through to Thursday nights, we're not the only assembly of Christians meeting to pray, whether in our own land or our own town, for that matter, but across the face of the earth. There are many, many believers gathering at the very same time, and yet the Lord says where that happens, my spiritual presence will be found. Let me remind you of Luke 18, verse 7, where it says this, where God refers to, or the Lord Jesus telling a parable, refers to God's own elect, which cry day and night unto Him. God's elect. Multitudes of believers across the face of the earth is what is meant. And they are seeking God, they're crying to God day and night. That's more than one prayer meeting. That's more than one particular place where the Lord says, I'll be there. That's a multiplicity of places. And my friend, that's a striking verse. It's one of the most profound statements in the Bible on this issue of the multiplicity of gatherings for prayer that do go on. And it was going on in the Lord's day when he told that parable. And it's been going on ever since, and it's going on today. That across the world, God has an elect people, and one of the salient marks of a child of God, one who is one of the elect of God, is that he or she is a person who cries unto God. Just note that. The Puritans said this, 
God has no dumb children. Very striking statement. In other words, God's children are a people who pray. His elect cry on to Him night and day. Or Psalm 72 verse 15 says this, Prayer shall be made for Him, that is for Christ, continually. Praying for Christ, that is praying for His kingdom to go forward, praying for His church to advance, praying for all of His glory to be seen among men. That's what the statement is, but listen to it. Prayer shall be made for Him continually. And so the Bible does speak of a multiplicity of prayer meetings convened simultaneously with the Lord saying, I'll be there. Wherever it happens, I'll be there. Just not in one place, but in multiple places. That's the idea. That's the truth that's in these words. Get a hold of it, Christian. And what are we looking at, therefore? We are looking at the Lord saying that He, by His Spirit, will be in every one of them. And there you have underlined the doctrine of divine omnipresence. It's only a divine person who can say and fulfill such words as these, that where two or three are met together, wherever it is, and how many may be gathering in all those places, he says, I will be there. The Lord says of his church that she is his spiritual temple. You have that, for example, in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. That's a reference to the Corinthian church, and they're referred to as the temple of God. And the Lord says, I by my Spirit dwell in you. And so the Corinthian believers are collectively described as the temple of God because they're said to be indwelt by the Spirit of God. And that's true of all New Testament churches. This is how it happens, therefore. When the Lord says, I will be there, I'll be in the midst, He means He sends His Spirit. His Spirit comes down. Remember, He's the Spirit of Christ. He's the Spirit of the living God. And He comes to every assembly, every group of Christians as they gather together. And how many there may be, only the Lord knows across the face of the earth at some given time, but He is there with them all. I think of one of the most wonderful verses that show to us this, or shows to us this truth of the Lord's omnipresence by His Spirit in the churches of Christ. Acts 9, 31. Let me tell you what it says it says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea. Acts 9, 31. Throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. And there's just one select set of regions. Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And in all those regions that were, of course, interconnected by their association together in the one land, the one region, there were churches. A multiplicity of churches. Well, listen to what it goes on to say. It says they were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Every church in Judea, every church in Galilee, every church in Samaria at the same time enjoyed the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Brethren and sisters, be encouraged with that. The Lord assures you that the prayer meeting is the place to be. 
in a special sense in order to enjoy the presence of the Lord. I could expand on that if I feel myself tempted to do it, but I better not yield to the temptation or I'll never get on through what I want to say this morning. But just think about that. that the Lord gives a special promise and assurance of His spiritual presence in gatherings for prayer. That's His assurance regarding the prayer meeting. He says, I will be there by my Spirit, is what He's saying, and I will be in the midst of my people. It's also an assurance of Christ's spiritual precedence. These words that we have in verse 20, for, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst, may also simply be read this way, there, or sorry, I am there, I am there, where two or three are met together, gathered together in my name, I am there. Now, he uses the present tense, I am there. What he means is, he actually precedes his people. It's not this, I will be there. What he's not saying is, you come together, you come together on Tuesday night or some other time, and then I'll arrive. Now, I'm speaking reverently here. I'm trying to make it very, very graphic. You'll get a hold of it. It doesn't say that. You come together, and then I'll arrive. No. He says, when you get there, I'm already there. That's the meaning of those words. He says, where two or three meet, there's their coming, there's their gathering, and they find that the Lord has preceded them. That tells you, brethren and sisters, how much the Lord delights in the gathering of the church to pray. Those who purpose to meet in His name, He tells them, I will be there waiting for you, so to speak. I am already there, is what the sense of the words is. And of course, that becomes very clear when you think about the verse. It says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. Think about it this way. How could He be there, or sorry, He is there before them, for how could they gather unto Him if He were not there first? You see that? You couldn't gather in the Lord's name if the Lord was not actually there before you, waiting for you, so to speak. And the Bible speaks of that kind of thing. Now, the Lord does wait on His people. He, he bids them come. It's not that we come in vain. It's not that we gather and, and then we say to ourselves, now we've got to get the Lord here. And he might not come tonight. No, the Lord's not saying that. The Lord's saying, when you gather, I'm already there. He's showing us his spiritual precedence in this whole matter. He goes first. He prepares the way. In other words, the very reason why you go to the prayer meeting is because the Lord has drawn you. He has worked in your heart. He has stirred your soul. He wants you there. And he works in you. And my dear friend, obey the Lord. Obey the Lord about this matter. You see, you fight a battle, don't you? You go home from work tired, or whatever it may be, or time's kind of running out, and you say, well, I'll just miss Tuesday night, this Tuesday night, I'll just miss it. And these special prayer meetings, well, I'm going to be too busy this week. I wonder why. We've told you long enough about this. No, do away with all your excuses. Arrange your agendas. Because the Lord is waiting to bless His people. Now, let me show you something 
about the Lord waiting to bless his people. Quickly turn to Matthew, just over in this book, a few more chapters. Matthew 26, and look at verse number 30, 32. And we'll read another verse or two after this, but Matthew 26, 32 to begin with. It says, But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Then turn to chapter 28 of Matthew and look at verse 7. And so this is the day the Lord has risen. And he says to the women who have seen him, Go quickly, Matthew 28, 7, and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, this is the, actually the angel, I should say, telling the women, Behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. Notice that. The Lord had said himself, I'll meet you in Galilee. Now the angel tells these people, tell those disciples to get to Galilee because he goes before them to Galilee. And then go down to verse 10 of this chapter. Then said Jesus unto them, Matthew 28, 10, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, or they are to go into Galilee, and there shall they see me, because the Lord was going to be there first. Then go to chapter, the same chapter 28, go down to verse 16. Matthew 28, 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain, where Jesus had appointed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. The Lord was waiting for them. Do you see that? He says, go into Galilee. Then they're told, go there, because he said he'll meet you there. And he keeps repeating that, or that's repeated, reiterated to them. And when they get there, the Lord's waiting. They found him waiting. You know what the Bible says? Isaiah 38, 18, Isaiah 30, verse 18, And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. The Lord was drawing these disciples, and I was just mentioning that, wasn't I? You feel the urge to be in the prayer meeting, you feel the stirring of your heart. Let me say to you, brethren and sisters, that's something that we need revived and renewed among us. This sense of the Lord's will that we go to meet with Him. And especially in the place of prayer. Yes, on the Lord's day. Yes, that's fine. And that's necessary. And that's good. But the prayer meeting must also be the focal point of feeling and experiencing the drawing of the Lord. And again I ask you, are you yielding yourself to that? Or are you fighting that? Or rejecting that? Or neglecting that? Shame on you that the King of glory would go before you and wait for you to come and talk to him and you don't turn up. That's just how serious the sin is of missing the church prayer meeting, when you could be there, I mean. And so there is that as well in these words, this assurance is an assurance of the Lord's spiritual precedence. It's an assurance of the Lord's spiritual preeminence. For he does say, doesn't he, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And those words in the midst of them signify preeminence, spiritual preeminence. To be in the midst, that means that he's given his rightful place of being head and Lord of all. And of course, he has that rightful place 
by virtue of his victorious work on the cross, the very night he rose from the dead, long, well, sometime after Matthew 18, when he had died and he rose again, that very night we find that the Lord draws near to that upper room where those disciples are, and suddenly he's in the midst. He doesn't come and stand on the periphery. He doesn't take a back seat, so to speak. He's right in the midst. He's saying to these men, I am the Christ who has redeemed you by my blood. And I am the head of the church, and this is my place. Not that it's done, oh, we say this, but it's unnecessary even to say it. It's not that it's done in arrogance or whatever, because the Lord knows no sin. But He's there as the sovereign, risen Christ, asserting His rightful place in the midst because He has accomplished redemption. And do you know that when we get to heaven, the Lord's still in the midst Revelation 5, 6. It says there, John says, I saw a lamb in the midst of the throne, a lamb as it had been slain. In other words, the Lord takes the central place because He is the one who has accomplished redemption. And furthermore, because His spiritual presence is guaranteed and secured by the victory of the cross. And therefore, when we come together in the prayer meetings of the church, as well as all other services, it's not for the purpose of any man or woman having the central place. It is for the purpose of Jesus Christ being in the midst. And anyone who has a true saving understanding of Christ and the gospel will want that, will want the Lord to be in the midst, not man, not church, name, or whatever, but the Savior in His glorious and wonderful nearness and and majesty, the risen Christ, and we meet around His feet, and we dwell on the cross, and we dwell on the resurrection, and our hearts are stirred out of love for Him for what He has done for us, to pray to Him. Do you want to know how to get victory in prayer? Because the prayer meeting is not an easy place to pray. Never mind at home. But the way to be able to pray or to have freedom in prayer is by getting your mind fixed on the cross. This person who has come to meet with us tonight died for my sins, suffered in my place, bore the wrath of God, the curse of the law, on my behalf. Therefore, I'm here to talk with Him. I'm here to worship Him. I'm here to cry to Him, to speak to Him, whatever way you want to put it. It's an assurance of the Lord's spiritual presence. He says, I am there in the midst. His spiritual precedence, His spiritual a preeminence. And then there's one other thing. Surely it's an assurance of Christ's spiritual purpose. Where two or three are met together in my name, there am I in the midst. To have Christ in the midst is to be blessed. And that's why He comes. Now, I know that some people will insert those words when they quote this verse. I've heard that many and many a time, and I'm sure I've done it myself. Just think about it. Isn't this true? Just think about the words, for two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them to bless them. 
You moved on it yourselves. You've added on those words. Now, they're not actually there, but so let's put it this way. Why have you and I heard the saints of God, people who love the Lord, people who have walked with God in their prayers, in prayer meetings, actually insert those particular words to bless them when they're not actually in the text? Why did they do that? Because they understood that's why the Lord actually comes. He's there to bless them. And why else would the Lord be in the midst uh, except to bless His people? He comes into the midst to strengthen us, to encourage us, to instruct us, to guide us, to lead us in prayer by the Holy Ghost. Did, not, did He not do this for the disciples when they were gathered together? Yes, He did. He came into the upper room and they saw the Lord. I know that was a physical dimension, but the point is the Lord was in the midst and they were blessed. And so that's the spiritual purpose, and that's another aspect of this whole matter of the Lord's assurance regarding the prayer meeting. The prayer meeting, my friend, is a place where you will be blessed richly as you put your heart and soul into it and you come to seek the Lord. So I must move on. We've looked here at Christ's assurance regarding the prayer meeting, but then some details of assembling to pray. Look again at verse 20, and notice that it is descriptive of a prayer meeting where two or three are met together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And in those terms of verse 20, there are two vital points I want you just to notice with me. As you think about actually assembling itself for the prayer meeting, notice the focus. It says, and we didn't, look, we didn't deal with this yet, where two or three are gathered together in my name. I've alluded to it. I have pointed to it, but now I bring your attention to those three little words, in my name. The name is equivalent for the person. When the Lord speaks of Himself, for example, and says, there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved, He's referring not to His own bare name, as it were. He's referring to the one who owns that name and what He has done for sinners when He talks about the fact that there's no salvation except in His name. And so the name stands for the person. And so believers gather by virtue of His appointment, their relationship with Him, and their profession of faith in Him, and therefore they are focusing specifically in His mediation on their behalf where two or three are gathered together in my name. It's Christ. It's Him Himself on whom they focus. It's on what He has done for them as their mediator. That's especially what's in view there in my name. You see, we need a mediator between us and God, don't we? They come to the prayer meeting or you pray at home, whatever it might be, and what channel does your mind go down or go along as you begin to pray? Where do you arrive first? At what, at what point or to which point do you come first when you begin to pray? You come to the mediation of Jesus Christ. Why, why is it, and you've heard this, you've experienced this, why is it that the old saints the very first thing on which they focus, apart from thanking God or whatever, 
and focusing on him as the glorious head of all things. But why is it that they began their prayers by pleading the blood of the Lamb? Because they realized that they had no access to the throne except in his name, which means his mediation. And he's our mediator because he has dealt with our sins. That's the big struggle in many, many hearts, isn't it? What do I do about my sins? I come before the Lord and I remember my past or I, re I remember my present this very day or whatever the time might be and my sins come up before me and I remember them and they, har or they, they, they have a horrendous memory. The sins of which we've been guilty. And we say, how can I approach the holy God of heaven? How can I come to the throne of grace? And the only answer is, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, in Christ's name, the mediator, we have access to the throne. Dear Christian, the devil wants to rob you of that. When you go down to pray, your own heart will remind you of your sin and your failure and your backslidings and your deadness and your coldness. And the devil will certainly remind you. And therefore, you need to be able to come and say, Lord, I focus on Thee. I am praying in Your name because You're the one who gives me access to the throne. And acceptance at that throne. The Bible teaches that too. That's a wonderful thing. When we pray, we are drawing near, drawing near to God, the infinitely and unchangeably and eternally holy God. How dare we come to Him, we might say. Who are we to approach this God? And you see, my dear friend, that's where many people get stuck or into bondage. He's holy. I am sinful. How can I approach this God in prayer? And so we sit in prayer and we're silent or our hearts are in turmoil because of these things. And yet the Lord's showing us, come in my name because through me you would only have access to God. You have acceptance with God. And you have the right to enter in and lay hold upon the throne of grace. And moreover, when he says, in this matter of the focus of assembling for prayer, in my name, he's also telling you that you have an advocate at the throne. He's at the throne. He's there. He's pleading for you. My friend, there you have the theological basis, as it were, for the church prayer meeting. Who are we when we gather to pray? We are only sinners saved by grace. Imperfect. Far, far away in many, many ways from what we ought to be. And there has to be a theological foundation or basis for coming to the Lord in prayer. And this is it. He says, gather in my name. I'm your mediator. All the value of the atonement, all the virtue of my meritorious blood, that's your way to the throne. That's how you have access and acceptance and my advocacy on your behalf. And then, of course, he speaks here as the head of the church, not only as mediation, but as ministry. To gather in the Lord's name is to focus in prayer on the fact that He is the source of all that we need. What are we praying for? 
Why do we come to prayer meetings? Why does the Lord tell us so often, seek me or whatever? Because all that we need as the church of Jesus Christ comes from the one who says, where two or three are met together in my name. He's saying to his brethren and sisters that all we need has been purchased by his atoning death. Procured by that redemptive work carried out on our behalf. As our covenant head, he has obtained all spiritual blessings for us. It's not that we're coming to someone who doesn't have the ability or doesn't have the abundance to meet our needs. No, we're coming to someone who has more than we even are able to understand or think. Doesn't he tell us that? Ephesians 3. We're to come to the one who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we would ask or think. That's a marvelous, marvelous statement. You know, our little denomination has huge challenges. And you've heard about the missionary work this morning, uh, some of those announcements. And that matter about Uganda, uh, just as one more detailed example, and the kind of money that's needed for that work, for the promotion of it in the sense of providing housing and all kinds of things, for the people whom God is sending there, already has sent. And that's a lot of money. And so where does it come from? Well, as we often say, money doesn't grow on trees. It comes from you and me. How can we do that? It's always because we keep in mind that the Lord loved us and gave Himself for us. And so we are to give of our tithes and our offerings to meet the needs of the work at home and the work abroad. And you see, the Lord has procured for us the abilities and the, even the wherewithal to do what needs to be done for the promotion of His work and His cause in this world. And the Lord says, therefore, gather together in my name and pray about these things, because I'm the one who by my work on your behalf has procured all that you need to do the work of God, live for God, serve God. That's what he's saying to us. Look a little more at these words about this matter of actually assembling, gathering together in the Lord's name, two or three of them. We've looked at the focus of the assembling. It's on the Lord's uh, it's in the Lord's name Himself and all that that means, His mediation, His ministry. But there are two outstanding features here that I notice. And one feature is plurality. Now, this really struck me as I studied this verse again. Where two or three are met together in my name. I've already mentioned this earlier, that you cannot have a prayer meeting unless you have at least two people. I mean a public prayer meeting. Yes, every individual Christian prays at home, and that's fine, and that's what we're to do. And maybe we have family prayer, and we should and there are more than two or three perhaps in that gathering. But taking the church prayer meetings, it starts at two, it goes on to three. And so, and so what we've been shown is that a prayer meeting can't actually exist without a plurality of people. But then think again about two or three. And it really struck me, something struck me actually this morning as I was thinking about this. Who was with the Lord 
when he said this? And the answer is the twelve. Twelve disciples. So why did he not? Well, just let, let's exclude Judas, because Judas was going to show who he really was, the apostate. Let's just focus on the eleven. Why did the Lord not say two or three or eleven? Because the eleven are there. And so what I'm suggesting to you is he's pointing out that sometimes there are times of prayer when all Christians could be there but don't turn up. I feel that's what's in view here. You see, some of these disciples, they did miss meetings. Thomas missed that evening service on the first Lord's Day. Or sorry, yeah, the first, first Lord's Day after the Lord rose, the very day he rose from the dead. Thomas wasn't there. He wasn't missing. Now, he's one of those 11 disciples. And Thomas became a great man, mighty man of God. We don't read a lot about him in the Bible or in the New Testament, but he was a mighty man of God. But there was a period when he wobbled. He was a doubter. He's always asking questions. And on the evening of the day when the Lord appeared to the other ten in that upper room, he was not there. And when they told him that the Lord had come, and then the Lord came back the next week, well, Thomas was there that time, but he was still full of doubts. I see something like this here. In other words, the two or three, and let me put it this way, I believe it's used here as a descriptive term for the faithful core group. Now, it could be two or three, or it could be 102 or 103, depending on the size of the church. But that's what the Lord's stressing here. I thank God, as I stand in this pulpit, that there are people I know will always be at the prayer meeting barring holidays or sickness or something. And so in that sense, you have got that core group of people, the two or the three. It's a symbolic term because, you see, no church may stay at that size. Uh, grows, it develops, so it could be more than two or three, but it's a symbolic term of that faithful nucleus core group of people and the preacher, and remember something, the preacher values God's people's prayers. He does. And therefore, that core group on whom the preacher can depend, on whom the missionary can depend, on whom the child evangelist can depend, people who are always there, the two or the three, and are met together. My dear friend, let me put it to you this way. You covenant with God that you'll be one of that two or three, that you'll not be found missing. Again, I say by our holidays, emergencies, whatever, Rearrange your schedule. Now, I know that's not easy. Rearrange your schedule. Plan your weeks ahead. 
Make sure that you keep prayer meeting night free to go to meet with God. As much as lies within you, do that. Tell yourself, I, I can't miss that prayer meeting. Oh, yes, sometimes, as I already said, we, we all miss for one reason or another. But I can't miss. I want to be there. There is, therefore, this matter of assembling together, the focus of it, the features of it. I could say more there. But then, in closing today, just notice with me quickly as I close what must characterize the prayer meeting. And there are three things I'll just mention that should characterize a prayer meeting. There is agreement. It says there in verse 19, uh, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask. And so notice the word agree because this is part of praying. That word means to sound together. It's a word that belongs to the realm of musical instruments in Greek language of those days. Musical instruments playing harmoniously, playing together. And from the original Greek, there actually is a noun derived, uh, that the, the, the word that's used here has another word derived from it that's translated music in Luke chapter 15. And that expresses the idea of harmony. And so there's the thought there of agreement. Now, for that agreement to be there, we need the leading of the Spirit and the Word of God. We don't come to the prayer meeting to let our minds run amok, to let our tongues just shut off anything. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14 about praying with the Spirit and praying with the understanding and singing with the Spirit and singing with the understanding. And that means that what's being sung or what's been prayed is understandable. It makes sense. It's an agreement with the book. It's according to the will of God. It's not there telling everybody else around you how much you know or what you're, you've done today. No, you're there to ask. I'll get to that in a moment. You're there to pray. And it must therefore be marked by this agreement, led by the Spirit through the teaching of the Word of God. And then there's audibility in prayer. Because in a church prayer meeting, if there's going to be agreement following on from that, if there's going to be agreement, well, there has to be audible praying. How could there be agreement if there were silent praying only? And that makes sense. Because as you hear your brother or your sister pray, and they're praying audibly, obviously, you can come in then with your amen. Do you ever notice when the Lord taught the disciples in Matthew 6 what we call the Lord's Prayer? It's not really that. It's the disciples' prayer. It was given to them as a model for prayer. But do you notice that He teaches them to say amen? And if you go through the Word of God, and I don't, I have references here I could take you to, but I will not do that. Believe me, it's there. If you go through the Word of God, when the preaching of the Word took place, the Amen rose up. When praying took place on various occasions, the Amen rose up. We do not want to have somebody who's praying feeling terribly isolated. 
Do you understand what I mean by that? You know, I've heard, I've heard even young people pray, and obviously the hand of the Lord was on them. In, in our own church prayer meetings, and they pray with passion, and they pray with sincerity. And when they finish, there's a dead silence. Brethren and sisters, that must be very, very discouraging for those young people. That nobody could, well, I, don't, I was going to say shout, but nobody could say amen. And it's not, it has to be done mechanically. I remember when I was in Six Mile Cross, I heard a story about this preacher, and he was so discouraged because as he preached, nobody would uh, say amen or whatever. So he got two fellows to, um, in the congregation, he, he said, now, I'm going to give you some, uh, I'm going to give you uh, a marker here, and I'll, I'll, I'll suck a pulament. I don't know how he'd preach with that in his mouth, but anyhow. And when I stop, then that's the sign for you to say Amen. And so the story went something like this, that he was preaching away, and suddenly there were amens everywhere all over the congregation because the bag burst. And they thought that was a sign to keep on shouting amen. But anyhow, I'm simply saying to you, dear folks, we must come together and audibly call upon the name of the Lord together and cry to Him. That's a feature of the prayer meeting. And then there's the asking itself, because in verse 19, as I noticed with you, you have the word ask. And it's the asking of a supplicant, supplicant, one who is in a lesser position to the one to whom the petition is being raised. It's a word that signifies the asking of a child from a parent, a subject from a king, a beggar from somebody passing by. That's the use of the word in New Testament times. But here it's used of the praying of the saints. We're coming to the mighty God. We're inferior. He's the superior. Therefore, let there be an earnest asking, an intense asking, a seeking after God that is marked by fervency. That's the sense of that word, because we are bankrupt and we have nothing in terms of strength or power or ability. We need the Lord. May God write His Word in all your hearts. May this word that He has given me to bring to you have its desired effect upon your souls. May there be a great gathering together more and more and more. May this week in the week of prayer, it came through very clearly that our ministers together realized how far we are away from what we need to be from what the land needs, the land is in a total mess, through sin, etc. The church of Jesus Christ needs the moving of God as never before for its future. We need the Lord to work in our free Presbyterian churches, never mind anywhere else, and fill up the seats and replace those whom the Lord has taken home. And others who want something else, who have just moved on in their spiritual well, uh, 
wandering, not wanting to, to maintain the old paths or stand for Christ as we have been called to do by the Lord. And so there's great need for an intervention from heaven, a moving of God among us in this little denomination of our mind on a wider scale. Do you catch it, friend? Do you see the need? Will you be there to pray? There before the church meetings begin, filling out that room from end to end until it overflows. Instead of standing around chatting about the weather or whatever else is going on, getting into the place of prayer, calling on the Lord, pleading with heaven, not missing the prayer meetings. I speak to elders. I speak to deacons. I speak to Sunday school teachers, those with those positions of great responsibility in the work of God. First and foremost, you should be in the prayer meetings. But right down through all the levels and ranks of the congregation, this is the will of God. It's not just for that core group. It's for those who need to get their hearts straightened out and seek the Lord with this earnestness, this passion, this desire that we'll see heaven opened and the Lord come again. Let us bow in prayer. Time's gone. And may the Lord use His Word today in all of our hearts. Father in heaven, we do pray that Thou wilt bless Thy truth. Thou wilt write it upon every heart. Thou wilt use it this day for Thy glory and for the praise of Thy wondrous name. Lord, stir our hearts. Stir my heart. Stir the heart of every brother and sister here. Lord, give us soul thirst for Thee and desires after Thee that are new and fresh and that will lay hold upon the living God. We look to Thee and we ask all of this in Christ's name and for His sake and for God's eternal glory. Amen.